Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Nico Franks. We hope you're safe and well, staying positive and testing negative. Today, we hear from former Marvel, Disney and A&E executive Raj Kolra, who discusses his recent move from the States to South Korea, where he's discovering the joys of foreign language content as he gets to grips with the country's vibrant media industry. Plus, we have a rare face-to-face interview from Down Under with Roger Wiley, CEO of New Zealand's Rialto channel, who spoke to me in Auckland, where I'm working from remotely thanks to my Kiwi passport, about what life is like out of lockdown and why he's going on an international acquisition spree. Roger Wiley is CEO of the New Zealand film and TV channel Rialto, which recently announced a joint venture with media entrepreneur Bruce Tuckman, who we heard from last week, to launch an international streaming service featuring independent film and TV. With New Zealand having a firm handle on the coronavirus pandemic and life back to relative normality down under, I paid a visit to Roger's office in Auckland to ask him about Rialto International, the boom in foreign language TV, and his experience of the pandemic so far. Obviously, um, it was a whole new world for us. Uh, We all started working remotely, which kind of proved to us that um, we are in a global space now. So we were doing um, Zoom calls around the world with acquisitions, working with distributors. The business has carried on like normal. Um, Coming back into the office, we kind of worked out that we didn't all need to be here at the same time. So kind of shifts really um it makes it a lot easier um i found during the whole kind of lockdown experience that i got a lot more work done in terms of the business so there was the announcement in january about a new joint venture um with bruce tuckman who we heard recently on the podcast and on c21 fm tell me a bit about that business and how it came about was this something that was in the pipeline before the pandemic Yes, it was. So um, about this time last year, I got a call from Bruce. He was actually here working uh, with another company that he invested in, and um, he'd seen Rialto Channel at his hotel. And he rang, got my number somehow, and kind of got in touch and said, um, you've got a world-class channel here. Um, It's a really great brand, and I think it's got legs to kind of go global. And that's how basically it started. So um, we started talking over the next two or three months, looking at what was kind of going on, what the competition was, and and, um, also complementing. So it kind of needs to work into a a kind of a movie package or into some kind of existing brand. So that's how we kind of started the whole thing. And then we actually saw that there was a a real gap in the market. Um, And the pandemic, what it basically did was studios not actually producing content, the independent market still rolling out content and still sitting on a lot of content that they hadn't released during the whole pandemic. We decided that it was actually a good time to to get out there and launch it. And so tell me a bit about those launch plans. Where is it going to come first? Um, So we've got uh, calls with Malaysia, Israel, Netherlands. Uh, We launched in Australia on Samsung Plus in December. there's another company which I can't mention, but they have a global presence. So it's it's really quite exciting. But Middle East, India, um, there's been really good um, feedback from, from the initial article. So what is it about Rialto International that will differentiate it from the competition? So we'll make it very easy for platforms to um, add 
content to an existing kind of um, strand or brand. Um, we'll bring a complete full service um, from pay TV, VOD to SVOD, which I, you know, full 360 kind of offering, which makes it very easy for them to actually kind of integrate it into them, into their system and, and service. So it takes that pressure away from the platform acquisitions of people trying to find independent content or, or content they don't really kind of have a background in. Um, that's kind of been the feedback. They, the funny thing about um, the films that we buy at the moment and um, play on, on out in the service um, have all got kind of mainstream stars. So there's a lot more mainstream stars doing independent films um, because it's a lot edgier, a lot cooler. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how it all yeah, comes about. From day dot, you know, 21 years ago, we've always embraced foreign language content. Um, probably t up until about 10 years ago, it wasn't well received. So we could, we just kept championing the the whole foreign language um, content strategy. Uh, people started embracing it, and um, you know, films like Parasite, you know, which won Oscars, it kind of it makes it a little bit more accessible, a little bit more credibility for people. They seem to um, embrace the subtitle. Um, format of it a little bit more because of the, the cachet that it kind of has winning an Oscar. Yeah, I mean, foreign language series, we represent, Walter represents here in New Zealand on TV and Z On Demand. Um, great foreign language series, and it just keeps growing, growing, growing as well. Um, I think, you know, film festivals, international film festivals have helped as well to get um, people aware of the foreign language content and, um, and get it exposed. So, yeah. So are you on a massive acquisitions drive at the moment, looking for new content to, to show on the channels abroad? We're always on a massive acquisitions drive um, and always looking for new content. So, um, and that, um, that's, that was the one good thing about the MIPCOMs and, of this world where um, we had this kind of strategy that we would try and see at least 10 to 12 new distributors in each MIPCOM so that we could kind of get a, a wider variety of content. Um, but there's still people um, reaching out um, who have um, catalogues that are that are quite extensive and and will have a kind of a fit in the Rialto International brand. So yeah. And what have you found is working particularly well? Um, is it a, a particular region, a particular style, um, and specifically in series, what's um, working? So we kind of what we've kind of found is that anything that's real stories. So it's either based on a book or it's about someone, or it has a main central character. No special effects, no explosions, um, just good solid writing, um, direction, and basically acting, so, yeah. Is it becoming harder to acquire series because there are more competitors now? Are you having to pay more for shows than, than you were previously? Well, that's a tricky one. Um, because we've, been, we've got long-standing relationships with um, distributors, not so much. Um, we get a lot of content from uh, Europe, Eastern Europe in particular, and because we were kind of the first ones that actually championed the whole foreign language series thing, those relationships have, have kind of kept um, the other competitors out of the, out of the yeah, um, which is kind of why we looked at Walter Presents and and the work that they do and the, and the content they were buying, and we thought, well, that, actually that gives us a really good strong hold here. And New Zealand at the moment is a really interesting case study I suppose for, for what audiences and what human behaviour does after 
you know, um, lockdowns and when society has gone back to relative normality. Have you seen TV viewing drop off quite a lot? We were in the summer at the moment, so I suppose you'd expect that naturally. Um, but also Rialto has cinema operations as well. So what have you seen there? Because obviously that's a big question at the moment is, will cinema be able to bounce back? So cinema has bounced back, um, but that's also been helped by the films that have been released. So what we were kind of um, finding before the Christmas kind of Boxing Day release, um, distributors were sitting on huge um, amounts of titles and not releasing them. Um, and then, of course, out comes um, Wonder Woman 1984. The, you know, these examples the Dry, Promising Young Woman, which was a great film, and people have just embraced it completely. Um, first lockdown, we, had, we were fortunate to secure the New Zealand International Film Festival, and we found that people just came and embraced, I mean, sold out sessions. It was amazing to see people coming out. Second lockdown, not so much. People were a little bit more wary about coming and sitting in a cinema. Um, so it's taken a, a lot to get their confidence back. The TV viewing's been really interesting. Our viewership has gone up. And the reason being because our stories are a lot, a lot more um, authentic and they are from books or from um, well-respected writers or directors that um, people have kind of changed their viewing habits. I think they want something that's real, um, not too heavy, escapism, and that they can kind of, that, that comes from a good credibility point. I'd be really keen to kind of see where um, reality TV goes in the next two years, because um, I think that's maybe something that we'll, we'll see a decline of, I, I, I would imagine. We have a, um, a documentary strand or a brand called Pulse, and um, the, in, in through Asia, Australia, and um, Auckland here, and that viewership has gone through the roof. So that's real people stories um, that have just since um, pretty much since, since COVID have have people have really embraced it. So yeah, it's also a really interesting time in using for in terms of production. Um, so Apple, Netflix, Amazon are all here shooting very high profile shows. Obviously, that's that's great for New Zealand. But what are the kind of challenges that come with that as well? So the challenges that we've found is that they basically suck up the talent pool. <laughs> but which is great because um, there are up-and-coming um, production crew um, out there that are kind of, I guess, coming up through the ranks quicker or faster. Um, that's, that's been the main challenge is the, is the talent pool. I think we'll see a, a, a major growth in... Um, in the, in the television and film industry over the next two or three years um, where we, um, the output of, of that talent has to kind of expand and, and there'll be a lot more production-focused people out there. Yeah. So that pipeline of, of talent coming through? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, especially in camera. <laughs> camera was a really um, interesting one because of the feature-length doc that we were... Um, that we're just imposed with um, was actually finding a DOPE that was available because they were kind of on other projects. Roger Wiley. International television executive Raj Kolra has over 12 years' experience at both studios and networks, negotiating distribution and production agreements, launching cable networks, greenlighting new programs, and packaging library content. 
Having previously worked for companies such as Marvel, Disney, and A&E Networks in the US, Raj swapped New York for South Korea in August last year. Before we went on to discuss why K-drama deserves the same amount of attention as K-pop, as well as the importance of South Asian representation in the boardrooms of entertainment companies, I asked Raj to set the scene and tell me what life is like where he is, just outside of Seoul, at the moment. Someone who has lived in Korea might give you a different illustration of what's here because they know what life was like pre-COVID. Um, but for me, coming from the States, things feel open. People are out and about and, and coffee shops are full. Life here has been really great and peaceful. And, you know, the industry here is bustling. Outside of Korea, I feel like you hear only about the music. Um, and it's like BTS, BTS, BTS. But the television business here is is crazy. There's just so much content that I feel like if you're not here, you don't really appreciate the breadth of how much work is being done. Because um, there's always like the, the one movie or the, the one series that kind of breaks through. And I just have been pleasantly overwhelmed with just the sheer breadth of content here. Yeah, I think that's what's been different. Um, you know, we lived in New York for about the past four years before we moved here. And, um, you know, especially the last few months with, with COVID, really depressing. <laughs> no surprise, you know, a lot of things shut down. You know, I think it's, it's refreshing to be here where from the top down, people seem to be taking this situation very seriously. And um, so moving in, in the middle of a pandemic and, and having to quarantine for two weeks, like a very severe <laughs> quarantine where, you know, we couldn't even take the trash out for two weeks. Um, uh, you know, like when I would tell my uh, friends and family back home, they would be like, wow, that's so strict. But oddly, it's been way more freeing because when you know everyone is taking it so seriously, you can kind of be a lot more comfortable when you're out and about. You know, I feel kind of sad for my friends and family back home because there isn't that consistent level of care around this. So it's hard because, you know, even if like some people are taking it seriously, you're kind of being, uh, having to live based on the people that are not taking it seriously. You know, maybe people that have lived here for a long time would say, wow, it's so slow and so empty and, and uh, so shut down. But for me, it feels like it feels as normal as can be being here. We had talked about before we even moved, you know, knock on wood, uh, no one in our household has been sick since <laughs> it, like any kind of sick, colds, whatever. And, you know, we think about like what the world looks like once people are vaccinated and, and whatever. And I don't know if I'll go, I'll stop wearing a mask and if I'm taking the subway, you know, it's been kind of nice to not just have, you know, other, other illnesses, you know, like put COVID aside for a second. It's been nice to, you know, just be healthy. Um, so, you know, I think hopefully people take some lessons from this and don't just, you know, like once people are like immune, just like go back to, you know, living wild and reckless. Maybe we can all be a little healthier when we come out of this. Having worked on so many different sides of the business now, what are you looking to do and, and what are you up to? Is it consulting, that kind of thing, actively looking? What are you up to? Uh, definitely the latter. Um, you know, we moved here um, uh, because my husband had a really, like a senior opportunity um, uh, in the industry he's in. And, and it also opened doors for our kids academically to, to get this great experience. And so we kind of looked at, you know, not everyone has the privilege to make that jump. And so 
you know, one of us had to make a sacrifice, <laughs> sacrifice in that. And that was me, but that's fine. Um, so, you know, I think what I'm, I'm, I used all of fourth quarter to really dive into the industry here and start to learn. I mean, I think quarter is very little to learn about anything. So <laughs> it is an ongoing process, but you know, the, um, the experience I have has luckily opened a lot of doors for me, you know, thankfully. And so, you know, I've met with some of the global companies here, but also, you know, my network of people has been so kind and generous to introduce me to folks at the local companies like JTBC and CJ and, you know, some of the um, short form production companies and, and studios here. And so I've just been meeting with people and learning about what they're doing and, and where their content efforts are, even, you know, companies like Coupang that are diving into that world, uh, as, as has been reported. So just trying to figure out where I can add value. And, you know, I think, you know, my pitch has been to folks that I worked on the Disney catalog and home entertainment. I managed a huge catalog of history and crime program at A&E. And, you know, I think as the Korea, Korean TV business grows and continues to grow, I think there would be value in having someone that, and not, not like I'm the savior <laughs> or anything, but like having people that have experience in bundling content and, and not just direct sales, because I think that's a totally different world. But from a corporate perspective, you know, someone that can speak to, you know, here's the vast library of content that, for example, JTBC has, you know, as their newer shows are kind of breaking out because the television business here is having kind of a moment, right? Like a breakthrough moment globally, you know, there's all of this rich inventory and how can they resurface that rich inventory that didn't really have international appeal at the time, but is still great storytelling today. Um, and, you know, my doing that, that that's been something that I like to do and think holistically about how the content here also blends with non-Korean content. As a consumer, what has changed for me? You know, I came here, I started watching Korean television, wanting to, you know, better my ability to, as a candidate in the workforce, but then also coming to like it as a consumer, which I didn't expect. I, I am kind of, uh, before moving here, could be really American <laughs> and just um, like, I didn't really like uh, subtitled anything, like anything XUS, you know, um, XUK. And um, so I kind of forced myself to watch this for my own professional development and then turned out to really like it. And then it's open doors to where I'm watching German language content right now, like German language TV. And so I'm hoping that I can kind of even present an even broader understanding of the television business and, and say like, you know, these Korean shows are not just appealing to, you know, Korean consumers, you know, the storytelling is actually very, you know, maybe how they shoot things might be different. But what I'm seeing is the shows that I'm responding to here have some of the very fundamental um, great storytelling elements that I have come to like from shows that I grew up with. And so, you know, for me, I would think, for example, the consumer of a show like 24, which is one of my all-time favorite programs, would really like a show like The Stranger, um, the Korean show, The Stranger, not to be confused with the other one that we also watched this year. Um, but, you know, there's such universal elements to some of these Korean dramas that I'm watching that I just, there seems to be this like white space for, for 
the business year to capture. And I just want to help. I want to be in, back in that growth space that I was. And so it seems like a good place to be for that. 100%. Yeah. It was just on the on the recent Netflix investors call, Ted Sarandos quoted the South Korean director, uh, Bong Joon-ho, when he was saying at the Oscars about the one-inch wall that audiences have to get across in, to, in order to enjoy this whole world of new content through subtitles. And Parasite, yeah. obviously, is a, is a huge example of that. You mentioned a company there, Coupon. So I'm I'm not familiar with them. So what are what are they up to? I guess I would call them Korea's Amazon. We use Coupon in the same way that we used Amazon before we moved here. The shipping is amazing. They have all the products, everything. You know, you can kind of see in terms of what they have been in the press about in terms of what they've been acquiring. And and I don't know this for a fact because I don't work there, but um it would look to me to be that they are following a very Amazonian path into content as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if in a year it looks very much like Amazon in terms of the the content offering. We'll see how that goes because there are just way more digital, there are way more um, digital players here. And Netflix has a much longer um, head start than they did, you know, at the time that Amazon started to go into content in the US. You know, one of the things I'm interested to see going forward is who is signing up for these things exclusively? You know, and and if the business offering for coupon is similar to Amazon, how many people are just going to have it because of the retail, the e-tail element of it, right? Would I have signed up for Prime Video if we weren't having dozens of Amazon boxes showing up every every week to our home? Is the content offering enough for people to just sign up for it? I, you know, I don't I don't know, and I don't I don't know even on the Amazon side what that percentage of their audience is like. But, you know, it makes sense. Anything that keeps people engaged with the brand longer, I understand that. Um, and I understand kind of the appeal of doing that as their ascendant as, you know, one of the top, if not top retailers in the country. So tell me a bit about your work in terms of South Asian representation. So there's lots of work being done on air, on screen, and in creative roles um, in terms of diversity. But I know you've, you've done work in terms of on the corporate side. And so tell me a bit about that. I think a lot of attention is paid towards representation, you know, across across all just as a broad term, but a lot of that feels like it's focused on on-screen and creative roles. And I, I wish and I hope that more attention is paid towards representation in, in on the business side. Cause it's been my experience that, you know, at, at least at the companies I've worked at, there's a lot of talk about how we can how diversity and, and representation initiatives impact those areas. And so, you know, I think a lot of attention sh- should be paid to that first layer, you know, like it doesn't really, you know, I, I talk about how, you know, Bollywood in India is, is so huge, but the people making those decisions to hire those, that, th- those people are also Indian, right? So, you know, like the people that, are hiring these writers and these actors in the U.S. should also be represent representative of the population, you know. And um, you know, I've been working for over twelve years. I'm I have been very blessed for the opportunities that I've had and and the people that I've worked for, and it's been really great. But I'll tell you, there are times like um, even now in the companies that I've been in where people will assume that I work in IT because of the color of my skin, right? that is purely a function of 
a lack of representation in, in areas other than that. And so I would like to see those kinds of stereotypes being broken down. Not that there's anything wrong with working in IT or in finance. We need people in those areas. But, you know, like, it would be great if um, when people look at me or people look at other folks that I know, their first assumption is in IT. Um, and so when I talk about South Asian representation, it's really more, you know, I think, I think the population of South Asia, just living in South Asia, <laughs> is, I want to say, like 20 or 25% of the world population. If you add in all of the people that have also left the area, but are, you know, like ancestrally from the area, that's a huge part of the world, the world population. Um, so it'd be great to see that representation for other people. You know, I try to mentor younger, you know, younger people and, and hope to be someone that they can go, oh, look, there's an Indian person that has gone to work in television that, you know, chose or wasn't pushed to be a doctor or something like that. And, and hopefully, you know, people can see me working and go, oh, I can, there, there is a real career in that. You know, I remember when I first went to work uh, and wanted to work in television, my parents were super progressive and super lovely. So we're like, what does that mean? Like, what are you actually doing? And because people don't understand the business of television or business of entertainment. And I didn't really have role models. I didn't have people that I could reach out to or look to and say, this is what you, this is the path, the path for me to follow. So it's been, I think part of the reason I've jumped around, which has been lovely, um, has been, there hasn't been a path for me. Uh, and so it's been cool for me because I like that. Um, but, you know, would it have been great to have someone to be like, as a, a young person, like a young, a, a school age person to go, this is a real path for you? It would have been great. I would have probably made different choices in terms of the, the things I studied. You know, I would have probably gone out to LA sooner to intern, like to, to network and do all of those things because you don't have to do those things when you go into medical school, right? Like that path, there's not like a, it's not about who you know <laughs> in the same way. And so, yeah, I think, I think it would be good to have that. Now more than ever, entertainment is home entertainment, especially in countries where they're in, still in lockdown, places like that. But obviously that business model has completely changed towards streaming. In terms of how you see that area progressing over the next year, what, do you, what are some of your predictions for, for 2021? One of my hopes or prediction predictions hopes are that some kind of insights organization will will fully emerge in the way that for the longest time at least in the US Nielsen existed for linear TV like I would love to have a much better grasp on what's working and what's not because I I think it's been really challenged right and you know when we when I was at Marvel and we would work with Netflix you know I would hear anecdotally that 80% of the viewing is in the first two weeks of the original series. Like that's probably changed or whatever in, in the time since then, but that's really not um, as concrete as you would like, I think as a content creator, um, or you would know your show is doing good because they would tell you, yeah, it's doing good. And then you would get a green light. And that's the only way you knew. And I don't know, I, I would like to know more as someone making shows and, um, so I'm hoping that the insights part of our business is able to finally like fully crack that nut a little bit because um, I know it's been really hard for them. 
Uh, and then, I guess this is a, is a prediction, but I think distribution and success of non-English language content, I really have hope that it will grow further. And not just on Netflix, but but find homes on linear TV. You know, I just, I encourage people, I'm not going to get on like my Oscar stage soapbox and, and talk, use that as a platform. But what, what we do at home is we just look at like, what's the best rated programs now? And we kind of look at what the topic is and then we just watch it. There's a whole world of television that people just don't even know about, myself included. <laughs> and so, you know, my hope is that people, consumers, but also companies greenlighting programs, acquiring programs will consider it, right? Like, who, who needs a dub? You know, people can read. And so um, take take risks in, in bringing that content and acquiring that content. And even if you put it in an English language or kind of a mixed, something like Tehran is great. And so there's just a lot of great sources for content that I think people before the pandemic were less willing to look at. And so I'm excited to see once the pandemic is over, uh, I'm hopeful that these companies will not just like go back to their us uk corners and and go well we have this hit show you know from whatever country let us go back to that and and see what else is there raj kolra that's all for this episode there'll be more from the podcast tomorrow but in the meantime stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following c21 online on mobile and on social media thanks for listening